You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. Hey, you like what some, you holding there? It looks like crudités. Like would you like some crudité, Bob? Is that is that mm. is it is the S silent? Crudité is is that plural yet with a silent S? I believe so. Um, I'm well. I defer to you course, on all things elitist. Did you just call it crudité, or do you know why I'm calling it crudité? I called it crudités because I was raised in a barn. But okay, I, well, I now I will. But that, but, but I did come up with the first half dozen letters or so on my own, and they were correct. Well, Dr. Oz was not raised in a barn, or maybe he was raised in a barn, but he's outgrown the barn, and he cut a video in April where he goes to a supermarket to buy crudités. And does Always, he call it Wegman? Oh, oh. Wait, he, wait. He, he calls it Wegner's. Wegner's, and it's Wegman. Instead of the it's Wegman, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, um, and that's uh, a big this, faux pas, just to be clear, because the, the whole... Fetterman shtick against him is that he's actually from New Jersey, not Pennsylvania. If he were from Pennsylvania, he'd know how to pronounce the supermarket name. Also, Although I would point out there are Wegmans in New Jersey's. I shop at one, but go ahead. Also, um, also use of the word crudite, I believe, um, is considered elitist. And I, I'm not oh, so oh, sure I about I'm so not Oz, so sure. Oz pronouncing Oz both used it and pronounced it correctly, whereas I just Correct. used it. So I could get elected right. in Pennsylvania. You could get elected. You're you're golden. Because I would say um, Wegmans and I would say crudités. That's the formula. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I've learned I've I've learned that you can't uh overestimate the penetration of fancy French words all, all across the American class structure, Bob. I uh I once I once uh ridiculed Amy Klobuchar for serving Brie en croute at one of her events. And I got all these letters from the emails from the Midwest saying, we serve Brie en croute all the time. It's a staple at our PDA meetings. And, you know, you, know, you think we're funny. a bunch of I, hicks here? I had never heard of Brie or seen it until I went to the East Coast for college. I distinctly remember someone telling me what Brie was. I sort of wish I hadn't seen it, but uh, I liked it. I, I, I instantly liked it. I was destined um, for the upper classes. Anyway, um, Oz broke. Nobody gave credit for Oz for breaking through old stereotypes of vegetables by <coughs> serving a. Excuse me. Uh, I'm sorry. I should not laugh when you have a that's fatal sounding cough. Uh, that's that's crudite. That's crudite of me to laugh uh, when um, you cough. I'm sorry. Yeah. He served asparagus. He was criticized for also for buying asparagus for his crew today. Um, he, he, asparagus dipped in salsa, all sorts of things you're not supposed to do. He's breaking ethnic categories. He's thinking outside the box. Nobody gives him any credit. Uh, Apparently not. Uh, anyway, you know so who is was Fetterman the, still going to win? Is still your pick? Well, have you seen Fetterman's talk? It was mm. hard to watch, man. No, you know what? He not, gave a, a particular talk. He this talked was his for big 11 debut. minutes. His big debut, he talked for 11 minutes. He hesitated. It was, you didn't, you were rooting for him. Come out with the word, come out with it. It, it was like torture. And so, so he you, is not ready for prime time. So you but think there he, is something wrong with his brain in the wake of the, well, what, uh, the stroke? Various people who have had strokes said, look, he's doing well for three months out. It's going to take him a while longer, yeah. which I assume is true. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, but in the, me in the meantime, you know, who's, 
who's campaigning for him, obviously his wife, who's actually terrific. So that, that he might make it, but it's just the more, you know, if he actually shows up in debates, it'll be odd. He'll get a sympathy vote, but it's just, it's not what we're used to. I mean, it's like, you don't want to watch this guy. He's got two and a half months. The, also, is he sorry. admitting it? Is he saying, you know, I'm coming along or is he just pretending nothing happened? No, he's not pretending nothing happened. But but, uh, he's, but he's, is he saying I'm uh, obviously I'm a little slow? He's not saying yeah, that. I think he says that. I think he he, I, I think oh. he didn't say slow. I mean, he says, you know, we're getting better. Oh, good. So I, I assume I assume he has the right attitude. He usually has the right attitude toward those things. That seems smart. The, uh, uh, he's way ahead of the polls, at least 10 points. One that they had him 18 points ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, so he's got some room to give up. Meanwhile, however, Oz is touring the state, you know, shaking hands with every voter, according to Selena Zito. And <laughs> she thinks he's raising a stealth campaign. I don't know about that. And um, the other thing is they, they unveiled the first Andy Fetterman ad. And it's quite effective, I must admit. What, what I mean, is it doesn't the... take, you, don't have, you don't have to be really artistic to take a guy with tattoos all over his body and a black hoodie <laughs> and make him look sinister. <laughs> you know, oh, the black oh, hoodie. Oh, so they're taking that he, tack rather than saying that it's all fake, that he's like, uh, that he's actually. This ad, this ad said he's soft on crime and uh, he proposes sanctuary cities for illegal alien criminals. So mm. uh, two solid issues that hit him hard, you know, but you, you can hit somebody hard and still lose the race. So. Yes, you can. I think. Um, as I discovered during my campaign, you sure when I was we want to go there? Is, isn't it too soon? The wounds, I thought the wounds hadn't healed, Mickey. Are we sure? You sure we want to talk about No, I did better than Liz Cheney. Not, not really, but uh, I got more votes than Liz Cheney. Did you get more? Well, you ran for a statewide <laughs> office in California instead of. Uh, well, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that one. Yeah, that's so, true. Speaking but, of Liz Cheney, is she going to run for president? So she didn't do well. She did she terribly. Did, she did even worse than people thought. No one thought she would win, but I mean, she lost by more than thirty-five percentage points. So naturally, that's the springboard for a presidency run, right? The the worse you lose, right? Uh, that that's you know that's why I'm about to declare my candidacy, Bob. The uh uh, you know, she I don't think she's ultimately going to run. She might run and drop out. There, there she has no hope of winning the primary against anybody, including Trump. What if she and, runs uh, for the Democratic nomination? She'd have a better chance. That'd be that great. Time. That would be great. There's, a, there's an idea. You're thinking outside the box. Wait, nobody has said that even as a joke? You're thinking outside the crudite box. <laughs> nobody has said that? Uh, I mean, of course, it. I'll tell you, though, the reason it's not crazy. I mean, to look at her voting record, you'd think that's crazy. But, of course... We live in an age when politics is entirely personal. The question is, is she pro-Trump or anti-Trump? She's anti-Trump. Welcome aboard. Start also, another war um, once you're in the White House. We love she has it. A little, she has a little, you know, when I, I work for Ernest Hollings, and yeah. his, one of his big failures was he was by far the farthest to the right on foreign policy. Of the, and he, instead of saying, okay, I'm going to stake out my far right position and get 20% of the vote, that's going to look pretty damn good. Uh, this is when there was a right wing, uh, was, you know, dumb. Anyway, with a different foreign policy array. But uh, instead, he tried to, you know, appease the left by uh, coming out against the invasion of Grenada and all sorts of things like that. So he was indistinguishable. Well, if you're indistinguishable, you're going to get 1%, okay? Yeah. So Cheney 
it has a distinct identity, but I don't think there are any hawks like her in the Democratic Party anymore. They're hawks. They're hawks on Russia. They're interventionists. They're all sorts of neo neocons, but they're, they're not, not Iraq war people. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, the, if she I ran think, as, as a third party candidate, would she hurt the Democrat more than the Republican? I think so. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a, the consensus seems to be pretty clear that that she's not going to draw a lot of Trump voters, that's for sure. And on the independents, she'll probably draw more who would vote for Biden than who would vote for Trump. So, um, yeah, that's the, the, Which the is thinking. a super weird thing in its own right when you think about her actual voting record. But there you go. Well, but like I say, the Democrats are they're now for war and the FBI. Well, are they for war? I mean, yeah, well, I, uh, well, they're for, they're for a, 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 a vigorous <laughs> foreign policy against autocracy. Mm. So, uh, you would know about that. Um, I would know about that. So go ahead. The, well, I was going to I was going to use the FBI segue to I mean, the the the, yeah. the, the FBI raid uh, ramifications continue. I think it's uh, since we recorded last time that that guy actually tried to attack an FBI office and got killed or something, whatever he tried to do. I think that was like on the day we taped. But, yeah. uh, uh, there 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 are all sorts of uh, there's all sorts of, uh, you know, agitation some of it violent against the fbi i when i think I, i'm not sure why i wasn't sure why why the why are people against the fbi as opposed to the justice department the f was the fbi calling the shots here and uh there's some recent uh recent articles suggesting that they were i'm i'm coming around to andy mccarthy's view that this was a fishing expedition the the, the violation of the Presidential Records Act and the Espionage Act are sort of pretexts, and they really just wanted to get a bunch of documents and see if there's anything incriminating against, because apparently it's run by the counterintelligence division of the FBI, who were the same people right. who were running the uh, the Russia thing. Right. And, you know, it's not crazy to worry about Trump's ties to Russia, so I'm not, I'm not saying they're evil people, well, but, but they are in the FBI. But I think McCarthy's thesis is specifically that they're looking for January 6th related stuff. Oh, I don't know about that. Maybe they're doing that, that too. That, well, I they... think that's what he thinks is that uh, Garland is under such pressure, political pressure, to indict uh, Trump for something related to the insurrection uh, okay. that they... that they're looking for January 6th stuff. Okay. Well, they, I'm sure if they see January 6th stuff, they'll fight it too. Maybe they are. That, that's a good point. But um, uh, it, it makes more sense that he, that he would take. Why would he be now taking away Russia stuff? You're right. It, it makes more sense that he'd be taking away January 6th stuff. The more, but the more you think about the actual like violations for having the papers, okay, the the, the sort of weaker it gets. Uh, for one thing, Maggie Haberman it uh, watered down her claim that a Trump lawyer had said had signed a thing saying that these were all the confidential documents. She now says uh, he said that these were all the confidential documents in those boxes, giving the Justice Department the impression that they were all the confidential documents Trump had. Well, that's a big difference. OK, so. So wait, you're that, saying that they did not seize all the confidential documents in his possession, just certain ones? 
Well, they did now, but there was an initial visit by the top counterintelligence oh, guy, oh, oh, Justice. Right. And, and he the talked Trump to two Trump had, lawyers. Yeah. And he looked in the storage room at a bunch of boxes and took a bunch of stuff. And they signed one of them signed something saying these are all the confidential boxes in this in these boxes. But there are a bunch of other boxes uh, in other so rooms. Now, so. so now it looks like they can't. Uh, if, if, if given her qualification of that, they, they they wouldn't be able to nail the Trump people for lying to them about that in the first place. I think the Trump people have a defense they, they, you know, maybe they right. nail them. They have a weaselly right. defense. But in any case, it's hard to pin that on Trump, right? Yeah. He didn't sign the thing. His lawyers did. So that's what lawyers are there for. They're there to take the heat. Uh, so unless he directed the lawyer to do that, and it seems unlikely yeah. in that situation. Anyway, the if you if the, the more you think about it, the more the, the, the Presidential Records Act is sort of insane. I mean, if Trump buys, goes to the stationery store, buys a piece of paper, buys a pen, okay, uh, uh, writes on it, no more wars, okay? That's not his property. Suddenly it becomes trans, trans, uh, you are transmutates. You're correct. It is, the, well, that's it sort is of crazy. The president has the should have some autonomy. He's not living in the Truman Show. I, I don't know. I, it's I, like, you know, I remember I, when I moved uh, jobs, actually from basic books where I had been nominally the editor of New Republic Books, although I'd failed to acquire a single book in seven months of being the so-called editor of New Republic Books, and I went to the New Republic. I, they called me and said, you know, where's your Rolodex? Like I a Rolodex. I had written all those things down and they wanted the whole thing. I mean, you know, uh, so who wanted the whole thing. Basic books. Yeah. I, well, for my for my successor, the, the guy who was going to be, you know, can't you just make a copy of it? Well, yeah, you can. But my point is, you know, I mean, you can make a copy of this stuff, I guess. But anyway, it, it, there is a precedent for institutions saying everything you do within these walls related to your work at all is ours. I've always I've always found that very offensive. Like you have to use an email and we own the emails. You can't use your private server. That that rule applies to the government, too. And there the, 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 are two arguments. One is it's just a creepy invasion of the autonomy of somebody like you. Mm -hmm. uh, and the second thing is uh, you ha presidents have to have some sphere in which they can have conversations that can't be produced in a court of law. OK, you, you have to have some conversation. You have to say, you know, that that Mickey isn't cutting it. He's an alcoholic. He's eating his crudités all the time. Mm -hmm. You have to sack him. OK, you don't mm -hmm. want to put that on paper. I'm on board. But 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 you do want to tell it to somebody maybe who can, you know, take the stone out of your shoes. So um, uh, it's uh, it, 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 that's why I, that's why I was totally sympathetic to Hillary and her emails, which also, I think, yeah. uh, might violate the Espionage Act even more than Trump. Because uh, uh, because she had to have some sphere in which she could operate. I mean, she's yeah. Hillary. She's got a scheme. Every politician has a scheme. You can't have everything be public. Well, and with fact, emails, a whole yeah. bunch of things that used to not be public, telephone calls, are yeah. now public because they're in print. Well, before this act, before the Nixon era, um, you know, it was, you were, that was the way it was done. It was like they weren't too picky about it. You can take the papers you want, whatever. That changed things as a legal matter. Now, I think I heard the aforementioned Nancy, Andy McCarthy say today that one thing he hadn't realized until this week is that actually, although the Presidential Records Act d does seem like kind of weak tea, 
that the, the Justice Department does have what he, I think, acknowledges is a technically plausible argument for, um, I don't know what the right words are, for, for making it a, an actual criminal violation that could send Trump to jail, if I, if I understood him correctly. I, I don't know the legal details. But, but look, you and I agree that, you know, the, this, I mean, we are both skeptics of the raid, I think. My view well, think, is if the raid was only about uh, the the Records Act, then either they shouldn't have done it or at a minimum when they did it, they should have broken precedent and issued a statement saying, look, this is not a big deal. We don't ex we're not going to unless we discover something totally unexpected. Uh, there's not jail time. It's just that these are the government's documents. He doesn't have a right to keep holding out. And now they are in the government's yeah. possession. Yeah. Uh, fine, but there, there's also the Espionage Act, which is a little uh, stronger. Key. Right. Uh, and I did a quick reading last night, so don't hold me to this, but it looks like most of the provisions require an evil intent on the part of Trump to actually hurt the U.S. if he actually gave the papers to somebody. He hasn't done that. There's this other provision, which looks like the one that Garland was going for, which says if you retain records, that are not in their proper place, you're also guilty if you know that they would cause damage if they were released. So you don't have to intend to hurt the United States. Uh, and you can, you know, there's a gross negligence clause there too. But the problem is he's the president of the United States. He determines what's the proper place for these things. I mean, that's the weirdness is, you know, I have trouble figuring out, well, Am I applying a different standard to Trump than I would an average citizen who had these records or even Hillary who had these records? And, and the, my answer is he is sui generis because he's the president of the United States who has the power to decide these things, mm -hmm. like what's the proper place for these documents and uh, or at least arguably has the power. So he is actually different. Uh, he's different than Hillary. Hillary did not have that power, I don't think. So um, it's. Uh, all this assumes he moved the documents before he left office, which I think he did. Uh, anyway, it's so even the Espionage Act is 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 sort of uh, it's not clear that Garland could win that case if he brings the case. Well, one one point. question I have is so the judge says he wants to release some of this affidavit. The Justice Department says please don't do all of it. They they would rather it not be released. And my question is. Um, if all if this really is just about uh, Trump having possession of of documents he wasn't technically allowed to have possession of, why would they care about the affidavit becoming public? It wouldn't be that explosive, would it? Unless there are specific other criminal things that they think they have a lead on, right? I mean, well, they may this may be a source in the Trump organization that they're going to use for other cases. I think that was the basic implication. And why fuck up the other cases by what you mean the blowing. source who disclosed that the documents were still there? Yeah. Oh, so that's they're just protecting yeah. sources. And nor my impression is normally defendants don't get to see the affidavit. So it'd be a little, you know, it's the judge. The judge already, I think, is doing Trump a special favor by saying he's going to release it with redactions. Uh, so I, 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 well, I, I would take the win if I were Trump. But you <laughs> like, think. You think all the Justice Department is trying to protect is the is the name of people who who gave them information? Well, that was one thing they could protect. I think they uh, they no, I mean they they're they're lawyers. They they think it would fuck them up in six different ways, probably. 
but mm-hmm. the, the, their best argument, I think, is the name of of sources. Uh, the um, the I, it's a, go ahead. You well, go ahead if you've got something on this on top. Um, the um, a guy named Bill Bradley, who's a very smart writer, who a former Gary Hart policy director, not who, um, not the former senator in basketball. No, different guy. Different, he goes. Guy. This guy goes by William Bradley. He said that the number of top secret people who hold top secret clearance in the United States is 1.3 million. <laughs> okay, that's that's sort of mind opening. It, it gives you it gives you you know the secret is nothing. This is top secret. Okay. Uh, well, there are gradations of top secret, though. Right. In top but, secret. But still, I mean, everybody agrees it's overclassification. You know, saying yeah. Trump had secret documents in his possession. Well, secret documents ain't much. You know, they 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 no. they well, stamp secret and everything in sight, practically. You know, apparently they released like uh, how much stuff they have, the information about how much stuff they have in the different gradations. And there is, my sense is, there's one box that contains stuff. In the at the highest level within top secret, and only one of like the ten or eleven boxes, there's only one that has the highest level top secret in it. Only one document. Well, McCarthy uh, was a little elusive. Well, just just kind of vague uh, okay. on this, but 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 I would say he he certainly thinks that there was only one of the ten or eleven boxes that contained that highest okay. top secret of the ten that they said had top secret. Well, one, one only box, one but there could have been the twenty level. documents in the box. No. What? Could, there well, could have been more than one document in the box. Yeah, Rich yeah. Lowry t- tried to pin him down and was unsuccessful. So I don't okay. know. But um, um, the the uh, I was going to ask you: so, Has there? You mentioned there's been more kind of uh, anti-FBI activity. Has there been like a lot in dramatic stuff? Because this is this is the reason I think I'm a skeptic of all of this. I mean, the Justice Department. You got to be mindful of the political context right. here. Right. You know, it's no surprise that this crazy guy went and did this thing at the FBI office and got killed. That's the environment we're in. That's why you should tread lightly unless you really think you've right. got Trump on some big time but, criminal activity. But he I mean, he is under pressure to pursue every alley to get Trump. And at some point, if he has Trump on the ropes, I'm going to hope he succeeds because I'd like Trump not to run. But that's, you know, after he's already ripped the country apart and all the people who were going to assault FBI officers officers have assaulted them if in the end you know there's a jury and they have a case against trump i hope they convict him but uh but uh you know why put the country through that unless you have a damn good reason is yeah. my argument and i don't have a clear idea of what the yeah. damn good reason no, would even be. even father daly who's an who's a certainly a reasonable man of the center said he was father underwhelmed bill. i call him Underwhel- father bill those of us father know, bill, I call him father bill yeah uh, go, <laughs> go ahead uh he said he was, uh, I'm sorry, I, he basically said, is it wrong to be underwhelmed by Garland's presentation? I mean, this whole thing is a bunch of vague smoke, as Bradley says. The The other thing is it's heading in my direction. It's already off the front page of Drudge, practically. You know, he's going to take these documents and decide whether to, to read them carefully, decide whether to charge Trump, and maybe not do anything until after the midterms. So we're going to twist slowly in the wind. Uh, for months and months. And then the crazy thing is he might not say anything because, of course, prosecutors, they don't when they don't charge, they don't say anything. Well, that's crazy. He's got to say something. If he doesn't charge, he has to say why he's not charging after all this ruckus. He's already made some special exceptions. So I, I don't think he can go. 
don't think you can get away with just receiving it in the background and saying, don't, don't mind me. I'm not going to say anything. Um, well, aren't they already saying they have a technical violation just by virtue of Trump's possession of the document? They could just say that, right? Okay, we got the document so sure. back. That's why we did this. And uh, and and we're not going to try to send him to prison, maybe, but it was a maybe violation a technical of violation of the Presidential Records Act. Right. I don't know, but they they have to prove it in court, and he'd have some defenses. So, yeah. uh, you know, um, I don't buy I don't, the, I, don't I don't I don't buy the idea that he can retroactively declassify documents. I mean, doesn't he have to have said at some point publicly or written these are declassified in advance? Yeah, I think the declassifying thing is a tougher, tougher for him to, than the proper place. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, if he's the president, he puts it in a drawer. Isn't that the proper place? I mean, are there elaborate procedures? Uh, there probably are elaborate procedures. It's a little weird that the president can has the power to declassify, but he has to jump through 50 procedural hoops to do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I guess there are situations where that that holds, but it also that also seems a little weird. Anyway, it's going to be off, going to be off the front pages by Thanksgiving, Bob. And that's what you said about 9-11. The, um, you know who you look like with that beard a little. I mean, maybe it's because you're kind of in the dark. Don't hold me to this. Don't say F. Murray Abraham. Somebody said that. I'm never going to talk to this person again. Who is that? An ancient actor. <laughs> I was thinking of Mitch Miller. Remember Sing Along with Mitch? Um. I remember Mitch Miller. I remember following the bouncing ball. Yeah. Um, by the should way, we tell, should we tell our younger viewers what we're talking about? <laughs> Mitch Miller had a, a very popular sing along show in the fifties when shows like sing along shows too early sixties. Shows like sing along shows were popular among the and so the lyrics as I fifties American middle class. And I should say dimly recall, I would have been like five, but the, the lyrics would appear on the bottom of the screen and there would be a bouncing ball that would go along the, be on top of the appropriate right. word at any given time. I get him and Lawrence Welk confused. Oh, that's easy. That's, now, Lawrence Welk, that was a real pervasive part of my childhood environment. Such, Turn such off is, the bubble machine. Yeah, I mean, that... You know, the kind of people who don't know how to pronounce crudite are the kind of people who, in my generation, grew up with their parents watching uh, Lawrence Welk. Speaking of crudite, Bob. Where does that look good? Where, which I'm tasting uh, at this very moment. You know who was ahead of me in the checkout line when I bought my crudite? Well, you're in, you know, you're in Hollywood. It could be anybody. You're in Beverly Hills. Uh, you tell me. Um Jay Leno. Jay Leno, really? Yeah, he was out shopping. He was out shopping say, with his wife. Didn't you used to be big in pictures? I, I would if I if I if I did the fanboy thing, Bob, and we That's in LA are much thing. more sophisticated. That's not the um, fanboy thing. No, but I would have yeah. said I like your car show. Your car show is great. But um I didn't do that. I was cool. There are a couple people asked for selfies. He took him. And know, he was very were, gracious, I'll bet, right? That's his He whole... was gracious. He wasn't as gracious as Jennifer Garner. Well, he, he probably was unbelievably gets... gracious. Well, yeah, but, but she does, um, he gets less of that. He he's a he's a better known figure. She gets a lot of that. But he anyway, he, he took the pictures. He was he was friendly, but he was mainly shopping with it. He was mainly seemed intent on shopping. Uh imagine he, that. He, he hangs, you know, he he mingles with the common people, Bob. But you you know, you, the card you should have played is if you've really seen a show. 
given your, you know, your deep knowledge of cars, you would be able to make an allusion to some specific show. Say, you know, you really, you really nailed that Austin Healy thing, man. I should have. He knows more about cars than I do, believe me. Really? Few people I would have do. asked about his. Uh, he has some very obscure, beautiful Lamborghinis in his collection. I would have asked about that. Should have said, can I borrow your, one of your beautiful Lamborghinis? <laughs> uh, so um, that's the way we live out here in Los Angeles. That's the way we Bob. do it. Uh, that's so, a real brush with greatness. And I assume that the Jennifer Garner thing comes from personal experience. You were also were behind her in the checkout line. Although in that case, it was after three days of following her, probably. No, she she when I went to Earth Cafe to get my lunch, she was there picking up some takeout. Mm -hmm. uh, she um she's has a reputation as the world's nicest person. Mm. But um and she lived told, up to it. I'm told she does have, she has a side where she can be a prima donna. Huh. That's my inside information. Who Not as I? nice as you think. I, I uh, wasn't thinking at the, all. Uh, so, Honestly, I don't even know who she is. I mean, I know that's one of the names I'm supposed to know. What movie was she in? She's in a lot of books. She made her, made her name on a TV show. She was uh, Alias, I think. She married mm -hmm. Ben Affleck. I think she may have remarried oh, yeah, yeah. Ben okay, Affleck. It's coming, back. it's coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, everybody's married Ben Affleck, so it you know doesn't. J Lo is really J Lo older? J Lo is now married to him, right? Correct. Is she older than him? I don't know. Uh, huh. The um, anyway. Um, uh, okay. I bought a car, Bob. Speaking of cars, you bought, bought a car. car. Did you I get a, a Chevy Bolt? I leased a car. I did not get a Chevy Bolt. I want to drive across country. I, well, you're, you're changing your story. Bolt. You said you bought a car. Now you're saying you leased a car. Well, yeah, I bought is is my euphemism for slang for. Something I got a new car, mean... and my point is an important political point. Yeah, it wasn't that overpriced. I paid a little more, but it wasn't. I didn't get hosed through the nose, and I have the feeling that was confirmation of what people are saying, which is inflation is not quite as bad as we feared. We may have the second month in a row where the month-to-month -month increase under some measures was is zero. Uh, Paul Kruger may be getting some belated semi-vindication. Uh, and it's very good for the Democrats and makes the Republicans who've, who've uh, based their campaign on inflation, 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 look like the idiots that they are. Mm -hmm. When they have three killer issues, immigration, crime, and wokeness. And stop the madness. Oh, wait, that is stop. That the is madness. stop the madness. That, some people point out that it's hard for the Republicans while they're assaulting FBI offices to say stop, say stop the, madness. the madness. So, so we're dropping stop the madness. We, we interrupt our madness to de demand that you stop the madness. You have to stop your madness, not right. our madness. Okay. Um, uh, so that's a good uh, point. That's a good point, actually. It complicates uh, the message. They should tell those guys to quit attacking FBI offices. There have been a whole bunch of signs that the Democrats' fortunes are rising, the most stunning of which was there was a poll showing that Marco Rubio was behind in Florida. Mm. And they can't say that Marco Rubio isn't a good candidate, okay? They can't say, oh, he's a Trump candidate. He was, you know, he was an amateur. He's like Oz or J.D. Vance, okay? So um, who's he behind? Who's he's behind Val Debbings, the former police chief, I believe, of some Florida town. Who huh. Biden considered 
in his vice presidential search for a black woman. Oh, yeah. She yeah, is yeah. a black woman. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, the, it also, the Johnson was also behind in Wisconsin. And the North Carolina race, which is another toss up swing state, was tied. Okay. That's not counting Fetterman 18 points ahead. Okay. So, yeah, but he, uh, you, you, he is precarious. We both know that. But will voters vote against him just because he looks like he's had a debilitating stroke? Vote against him? I don't think so. Uh, people are more compassionate than that. He might get a sympathy vote. Maybe the 18 points is a sympathy vote. Maybe that'll be the new campaign strategy. Have a stroke. Uh, well, you know, don't give me any ideas. Uh, uh, so, um, so good. I'm, I'm delighted. Is there a reason I should not be? Then, if, yes, then, there's one candidate who's ahead in the polls. JD Vance. Yes. And Correct. now you're gonna, and now you're gonna make fun of uh, Congressman Tim Ryan for uh, being a uh, championing meditation. No, I just thought that was a funny thing. Uh, well, tell was, people they don't they don't know. There was a, was a cover story of like Mindfulness magazine or something mm -hmm. where Tim Ryan say features Tim Ryan in a coat and tie, I believe. Yeah. Uh, uh, saying, I want you to meditate. OK, which is not I don't think the gist of his appeal to Ohio voters. I just thought it was funny. I don't hold mindfulness against people bob but you know what's funny i think he anticipated that someone might at some point because you know he wrote a whole book uh about uh mindfulness and originally i think i've got this right i hope i've got this right the the title the first time around was a mindful nation and then i think it's the same book that he published under the title uh healing america how a simple practice can help us recapture the American spirit. No mention of mindfulness uh, or meditation in the title. Um, the, uh, so I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some other reason he changed the it'll title. Be, but Next, it'll be how, how a simple practice can fight Trump and end wokeness. Yeah, or help us win wars. You know, they do, they do use mindfulness to train snipers in the military. Really? Creepily, yeah. Well, you can imagine, right? I mean, you got to stay calm while you're pulling the trigger. Um, that's always my philosophy. I don't, I'm not sure that's what the Buddha had in mind when when he uh, laid down the the, uh, the, the 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 big sutra on mindfulness. Um, but um, so yeah, so so is is JD Vance well ahead in the polls? No, he's barely ahead in the polls. Um, the so the question is. Um, you know, if if the Republicans retake the House, there's a big difference if they retake it by five votes and 15 votes. And I sort of think McCarthy doesn't want to retake it by 60 votes because then he has to deal with a bunch of crazies and do things like block the immigration bills that his donors would like him to pass. So wait, I wait, wait, I thought he was more hostage to individual elements of the coalition if he had a narrow margin. I don't think so in the because he's not expected to pass anything himself. The mm. Democrats will have almost a majority. And it's just a question of do 10 Republicans defect and join the Democrats. And I think that's a different situation than I if see. you have to assemble a majority yeah, and yeah. 10 Republicans say we're not going to be part of your majority. So uh, I don't think he can, yeah. can, it, he yeah, can it, control them. He it's can't the element that can threaten to defect with the, to the other party that has power. That's why Manchin has power. 
It isn't the far so, left that has the power in this in the Senate. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, well, that would be the left of the Republican Party. Um, that's anyway, what that's what I'm so saying. I'm, the I'm left, trying to figure the out the right if, of the Democratic Party has the power and the left of the Republican Party has the power within their parties. Right. If it's closely divided, if the House. The, the, the far left had some power. They brought down, if you remember, they brought down the infrastructure bill briefly before they came to their senses. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and then uh, it's weird, but Pramila Jaipal, like, like however you pronounce her name, used that incident to make herself very respectable. Okay. And she's still tweeting out about how the guy in Ferguson who, uh, who rushed the cop and was shot and killed mm-hmm. was innocent. Okay. That if you're that, if you're that respectable, if you're now the respected head of the progressive wing, can you get away with tweeting out that kind of lie? I mean, does Al Sharpton still tweet out about how Tawana Brawley was raped? I don't think so. But it's, it's, it gets back to the issue of can you found a, a respectable political career on a lie? If you're a Democrat, if you're a Republican, can you found a respectable political career on a lie about the election? Uh, I mean, so you maybe, may not call maybe, she can get, maybe she can get away with it. Maybe she can get away with it in terms of, uh, you know, keeping the Ferguson lie alive. I don't know. There have been, there have been multiple inquiries in this, and they all found that the guy was shot because he was the aggressor. Yeah, the standard story, the hands up, don't shoot, was, was definitely not the case. But why? How did we get here? What is this? What are, what are we? I, I was. We were talking about the progressive wing having power, and I was saying Jayapal had power, and I was using that as a segue into this minor point about her trying to straddle respectability, unrespectability. Um, so the the question the, the question in my mind is, you know, if 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 the Democrats keep the Senate or take the Senate by one or two votes, uh, and the Republicans have a slim majority in the House, do I have to worry about? Uh, a horrible immigration bill or a refundable child tax credit passing. And I think maybe less the uh, less the horrible immigration bill, but the refundable child tax credit, I mean, you know, that's that's not something that drives the base of the Republicans crazy. With James, good Bennett's, reason. <laughs> James Bennett's brother could sneak it through. Unfortunately, James Bennett's brother is uh, losing altitude in his race. Oh, is he? Well, Fortunately, he he's losing altitude. Sorry, he could lose. They 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 just moved it from lean from a dem lock to leans dem. So, so in your heart, leaning. you mean fortunately, not unfortunately. Yes, I, I say I corrected myself to say uh, fortunately. Uh, uh. He's a perfectly nice guy. He just has this crazy position. Now I think you know uh, the Salman Rushdie stabbing happened after we taped last week. At least we we weren't aware of it, right? I don't think so. Any thoughts on that? I mean, that uh, was we are. <laughs> Most people listening to us probably aren't old enough to remember the fight law. I just remember when Rushdie published this Satanic Verses, which has some nasty things that were like, I assume, mocking of Islam in it. Have you uh, actually re- read it or no, read those things? No, but there are all these people sort of triumphing him for telling the truth about Islam and, you know, parading him around. You know, Chris Hitchens was all in on Rushdie. And, and a lot of this, you know, now that he's stabbed, everybody's all in on Rushdie. But they, they didn't draw the distinction between defending the book and defending his right to publish the book. They sort of said he was righteous. And I, I think you should have second thoughts before you insult one of the major religions of the world. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe you should, if you want to do it, go ahead. We should defend your right to say it. But we shouldn't celebrate the fact that you said it. 
Uh, and Michael Walzer made that point in an article in the New Republic, but nobody else made that point. Well, I uh, made it, it. It's still a point that sort of needs making, I think. I made it in a different context, along with some other people. But the uh, Charlie Hebdo thing is like, yes, obviously, they have a right to publish this. You, you, you should condemn anyone who shoots them for it. But that's different from celebrating the cartoons themselves. And I would say the argument, I haven't read Satanic Verses, but I would assume the argument is much stronger in the case of Charlie Hebdo. I mean, these were cartoons basically seemingly designed to insult right. Muslims. I mean, right. you know, and, and I assume that whatever Salman Rushdie was up to in the Satanic Verses, it was a little more high-minded than that. I mean, I don't know his motives. Um, I don't know. Apparently nobody has been able to read the Satanic Verses. So. Yeah, yeah I, I've never met anyone who actually read it. Uh, Robin Wright was on NPR talking about it. She admitted she tried three times and had failed to get through it. Do you know what the original Satanic Verses are? Maybe we should just talk about that there, in a pair. There's supposed to be some uh, some version of the some parts of the Koran that uh, didn't see print. Yeah, uh, because they're polytheistic. And the idea is that when Muhammad uttered them, I think the idea is he must have been under possess the possession of uh, Satan or something. But uh, so, yeah, they, they didn't but make you like them. Print. What? You like them. I like them. Because they're, oh, they're, they're polytheistic. Polytheistic. Oh, OK. Huh. I mean, okay. uh, maybe I will talk about that in the peer room. It's actually the, the actual story of Muhammad is interesting. Uh, so well, I'm writing that down now. Um, anyway, I had a piece in uh, the non-zero newsletter about about the Rushdie thing, about a different side of it. I mean, I had I had forgotten a little. How uh, how much it became. uh a kind of reason to start evaluating this whole radical Islam threat. It was like the next year that the Atlantic published the Bernard Lewis piece, the roots of Muslim rage that cover story. And, you know, and he certainly referred to Rushdie and it kind of uh, triggered this whole, I didn't single-handedly trigger it, but this whole argument about what this threat of radical Islam was and so on. And so anyway, I get into that in this piece. Um, and what's your conclusion? Well, that I mean, what I do in the piece is, I mean, my argument is, you know, the kind of Sam Harris argument about all this stuff is that religion is the problem, probably Islam more than other religions. It's the content of these religions that drive people to do these things. My model is no, actually, uh, when various material circumstances of people's lives by I mean material broadly to include social circumstances and for that matter genes I mean whatever kind of drives people to a point where they feel like doing something extreme they'll find something to latch on to and and in the course of making that argument I compared the guy who stabbed Rusty to the guy who shot up the Buffalo supermarket and the Uvalde school shooter and concluded they're 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 a lot alike these are all guys who failed to fit in, who had grievances uh, and, uh, you know, we're just uh, society wasn't working out for them. They found different things to latch on to to guide their rage. But uh, it isn't like if you stamp out religion, this won't be happening. It'll still be happening. They'll, they'll just find other things. Um, but surely doesn't this surely you don't uh, exculpate Trump if he eggs on some some violence and somebody one of these people takes them up on it 
he has some causal relation to that too, no? Yeah, no, you can you can turn the volume up and down. Um, but I would say the thing, I mean, the thing I always said to the new atheists is, look, you don't have any control over whether people believe in God or whether they're Muslims. If anything, you, your, your exhortations will have a perverse effect, right? You grab them by the shoulders and say, don't you get it? God doesn't exist. That's not going to make fewer Muslims believe in God. It's going to make more than fundamentalists. What we have control over are things like American foreign policy. So if things like American foreign policy are part of the things that are enraging them, that's what we as Americans, I think, are well advised to focus yeah. on. That was a basic yeah. argument. Yeah. You're certainly I'm, right that, uh, you know, people like or Tucker Carlson, they bear some responsibility to speak responsibly because they well, can I, turn the volume up. And I was just using I, I'm not saying that Trump has said anything that crosses the line. I was just using that because I knew it would be an a hard example for you to that away. No, I think he has said things uh, that cross the line, but um, but the point is, in the case of religion, uh, I, I would I would focus on uh, on the things you can control that make people less enraged, uh, assuming you can do that at uh, responsible cost. I'd say the same thing about you know Christian fundamentalists. I mean, don't gratuitously uh, piss them off. Aren't some religions less warlike than others? Uh, well, it depends on whether you want to talk quality or quantity. I mean, the the uh, the the Bible, I mean, specifically the Old Testament, has the worst stuff qualitatively. Like, you know, the the Quran never advocates genocide. The Old Testament advocates genocide in the most extreme sense of it: wipe all of these people of this ethnic group out, kill all their livestock, the women, the children, everything. There's nothing like that in the Quran. Can we salt the earth too? You can salt the earth, but the okay. um, but uh, does the Quran uh, as a percentage of total number of words in the Quran? Are there uh, is there a higher percentage that uh, advocates aggression? Probably. I mean, there's a lot of it in both of those. What? Books, I, but I, having read your book, uh, as you know, this is my argument against this argument. Uh, Christianity starts off very violent and gets better. Islam, uh, Muhammad starts off very nonviolent and gets worse. So he's his trajectory, the trajectory of Islam is going in the wrong direction and Christianity is going in the right direction. Well, I mean, that's not what you're talking about is not visible in the Quran because the Quran is not arranged chronologically. Neither is the Bible. OK, but, order, I mean, when it was written, but it's, it's true. Muhammad's it's true. Practice. It's true Muhammad's that you divide practice. his career as a prophet and politician, which he certainly was, into the two. Uh, basic subdivisions. Um, the first half, he had an environment, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of it where it made sense for him to be very tolerant and profess tolerance. And, and in the Quran, there are things that, that are very flattering things said about both Judaism and Christianity and about Jesus and, and about Moses. There's a lot of that. And I think it emerges from the time when Muhammad still has hopes of bringing Christians and Jews on board in a single coalition. Um, but uh, then there's the other stuff. And you're right. That, I mean, then there's the less tolerant stuff uh, that presumably grows out of times when there was contention between his followers and, and Jews and Christians, and he had kind of given up on them. You're right that chronologically in real life, uh, that second time comes later. Uh, it's in the Quran. It's all jumbled up. 
it, it's right. it's not okay. coherent in that sense. Um. Anyway, um, the only other major topic a we haven't talked about is Ukraine. Yeah. That I mean the 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 headline that has pushed Merrick Garland off the front page of Drudge is uh, worries about this nuclear reactor. Uh. Uh, having some accident because it's now the focal point of hostilities. Well, there's uh, another it reason. It wasn't that wildly convincing, but go ahead. Well, apparently, I just, this just kind of broke recently. They now think the Russian or the Ukrainians are saying the Russians are going to try to divert the power from Ukraine, where it now goes from that power plant, to, right. I guess, like Crimea and stuff. And that will involve some maneuver that they say raises the risk of of an accident, in addition to, of course, being bad news for the parts of Ukraine that are being getting power for it from it. Don't they then have to defend a very long cord from the, the transmission line from the uh, I, I, nuclear I reactor to works. Crimea? I don't know how that works. I don't know if it's underground or what, but it's a good question. You'd think there would be places that the Ukrainians could intervene. I don't know. But the, um, you know, there are other reasons to be concerned. There's, uh, you know, John Mearsheimer, who, who, uh, you know, predicted the invasion many, many years ago, saying, you know, if 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 Ukraine uh, continues to align itself with NATO, Russia will invade and and kind of wreck the country. Um, he has a piece in Foreign Affairs that just came out where he's talking about the very significant risk of escalation, including catastrophic escalation in the war. And he lays out these different scenarios. But I think the main overarching point is something that's been concerning a lot of us for Sometime, which is just that if you look at the positions of Ukraine and the U.S. and Russia, there's no end in sight. And, and uh, you know, they all right now, none of them seems in a mood to suddenly talk peace. And the longer this thing goes on, uh, the more danger there is of escalation and expansion. Well, um, and in fact, I mean, what were you going to say? I was going to bring up Kissinger's larger warnings, but go ahead. Well, uh, let me just say, within the last few days, you know, more uh, more stuff has been blowing up, not only in Crimea, which is itself kind of new. Ukraine is somehow managing to blow stuff up in Crimea, but uh, in Russia proper, in uh, north of Kharkiv, there have been a couple of things blown up. Uh, and that's not unprecedented. It happened earlier in the war. But, um, you know, this is the kind of thing that if if Russia really starts freaking out about uh, sabotage of a lot of its stuff, including ammunition depots and and starts feeling on its heels, that's the kind of thing that could lead Russia to escalate and do any number of things, uh, including just just, uh, you know, shell cities more ruthlessly. But uh, yeah. What about Kissinger? I mean, he he he, he says we're we're teeter, we're tiptoeing toward nuclear war, and uh, you know we we have this relationship with Russia and with China, and we don't know where we're going. Uh, and in order to you know it help it would help to have some grand idea of where we were going. Uh, we can't just we can't just instantly play them off against each other. It's not that simple. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't tell if this was Henry Kissinger saying, "Pay attention to me," or if he actually had a point. I suspect he has a point. Oh, I think he has a point. I, I don't think there's any kind of encouraging version of a grand strategy here. I mean, I mean, there, you know, there's 
there's this war on autocracy, which is just uh, not smart, leads nowhere good. Um, there's, uh, you know, but no, there, there's no plan for kind of uh, steering the world toward like less tension and more cooperation, so far as I can see. Which Kissinger, however horrible a person he was at various times in his life, however ruthless he was, wound up doing right he did he did help engineer play a big role in engineering uh detente with, uh, and uh and and drawing the cold war in the direction of a of a close with both with, yeah. with respect to china and russia and 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 that that if anything you know when you say is he saying look at me in a way implicitly he is he's, he's saying why can't they do what i did but <laughs> right but but, I mean, but no i i have a very low opinion of the biden foreign policy people but it's, it seems to me if you're going to criticize them for a lack of purpose, you should then lay out what you think the purpose should be. If you're Henry Kissinger. Yeah. Well, if you're, I mean, Mickey Kaus, you don't have to do it. But if you're Henry Kissinger, you should be able to do it. I'm sure. Well, he, he would be uh, saying, you know, cut a deal to end the war. He would have probably been saying what Mearsheimer says in the foreign affairs piece which is that the U.S. should have tried to negotiate a deal that would have avoided the war in the first place. You know, there was this big Washington Post piece about how hard the U.S. tried to warn Ukraine of the coming war and so on. And it's, you know, it's the sources are almost entirely U.S. and other Western sources. And part of the agenda is to vindicate themselves. But one thing that becomes, you know, is, well, we already kind of knew, but there does not seem to have been any attempt to keep Russia from invading other than to say, we'll punish you big time if you invade, even though we had said publicly, we're not going to actually get involved in the war. So we were asking them to believe that, that through sanctions and stuff, we were going to make life unlivable for them. But in any event, uh, you know, in the, in the piece, like, you know, Bill Burns goes and he visits, uh, moscow to try to get a sense of what's going on we're very concerned about this possible invasion and he comes back and says i told him there would be consequences he what he doesn't say so far as we can tell in this piece is you know i tried to find out what would it take to keep them from invading do, there's none of that kind of talking do you think they were really not unhappy that russia invaded well that's, it makes a, them that's the bad cynical, guy it makes yeah. up for afghanistan the humiliating withdrawal it sets biden up as this grand leader of this grand coalition which he was certainly a role he was ready to step into. Uh, and uh, and they thought they would probably win. Well, I'm not averse to cynical explanations of things generally, but I would say that I don't think they expected it to work out the way it did. In other words, I don't think, I mean, now it looks like they could turn this into another Afghanistan and bleed Russia for a long time. I don't think they, I don't think they thought it would happen this way. I, I, I Maybe they thought, Russia will take over much of Ukraine and then will sponsor an insurgency or something. But I think they have been surprised at the, the, the early Russian failures. According to Niall Ferguson, they pretty quickly, quickly into it, were planning to turn it into another Afghanistan for Russia. Well, pretty quickly, maybe. Them. Yeah. But I don't I don't think they were planning that three months before the invasion, at least not this version of that. I, I don't. Um, I tend to think it has more to do with just a combination of kind of ineptness and being hostage to the blob, including especially the MSNBC wing of the blob, which is just the blob. It's just, I mean, MSNBC 
CNN. It's all one bunch of hawks, basically, who, if you try to negotiate anything, will accuse you of doing another Munich. That's the environment the, the Biden administration lives in. And it was an especially acute version of that after the Afghanistan withdrawal led to MSNBC condemnations for months and months. <clears throat> I, I think after it's, that, they, they felt more than ever they had to prove what tough men they were. And, and there's a real there's a the, the the ultra cynical Mickey view of history, which is everything is designed to produce an immigration amnesty. So. <laughs> Uh, they they realize the, no, the example would be uh, example of the cynical view would be why is Garland doing the raid? Because it puts Trump back on the ballot, which will help Democrats in the midterms, which is what they really care about. And that will help them pr pursue their domestic agenda, which is, you know, the child tax credit and an amnesty and a bunch of welfare state uh, New Deal expansions. And that's what Democrats really care about. Everything is a means to not doing badly in the midterms and retaining power. And the foreign policy is a way to retain power. Merrick Garland's a way to retain power. It's all about the midterms. Well, in favor of your hypothesis is the fact that the Democrats actually funded Trump supporting candidates in the Republican primaries in hopes that they'd be easy to beat, right? That's the kind of cynicism. But that's, that, that's the kind of cynicism, but this citizen will be there rehabilitating Trump and helping him dominate the Republican Party just for the for just just for this November, not for 2024, just to win this November. They have a short term time horizon. They don't want to lose the houses of Congress. I, I, I even I am not quite that cynical. I, I mean, I just think it's such a triple bank shot that I mean, and, it's not a triple bank shot. Trump's on the front pages. The Democrats are gaining in the polls. It's happening. I kind of I don't know, but I think one thing about the Democrats is they keep thinking that if they attack him harder, finally his people will, will abandon him. Well, that's Liz Cheney too. She yeah. thinks I'm yeah. going to run a third party so I can attack Trump as as if nobody ever thought of that before. Right. Uh, you know the way to, the way to beat Trump is to steal his issues, not to attack him directly as a as as you know the asshole that he is. I mean, people have already made up their minds on that. But if you yeah. take away his issues, they'll say, "Hey, well, let's get what we want without the asshole." Yeah. Anyway, that's that's my view of it. That's a, so, the, the the ultimate Liz Cheney fallacy is is that. Let me say one more thing about Ukraine is the big, uh, you know, there's still all this talk about Kherson. Is Ukraine going to uh, try to take Kherson back? That that was almost a given, I think, a week ago. Now it seems like people are walking that back and it's like, well, we're not going to actually invade and take it back we're gonna really give them a lot of trouble with sabotage artillery high mars and, and then they, um, they have disabled these bridges so they may be able to isolate them and slowly starve them out but that takes a long time because these guys are in Kherson. it's a city they have the resources of the city to subsist on even if they're running low on ammo and so i mean ultimately i think you know the ukrainians have to go in and take it and that let me just say one more thing that if anything looks harder now that the russians have massed so many troops in that area and in fact i think now people are starting to worry that maybe R russia is going to make a play for odessa they've got so many troops in that part that's interesting because that guy bill bradley uh mocks the uh kagan institute for the study the of institute for the study of war right because they've been saying oh they 
the uh, the southern offensive, you know, counteroffensive of the Ukrainians has started. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's in full swing, and 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 the media bought how little that was based on, and, and uh, how the media lapped it up, and now they have to walk it back because it doesn't seem to be happening. He thought it was all a ploy to get the Russians to put more troops One uh, near Kherson to so that they wouldn't be in the Donbass. Uh, and but you're saying they put so many troops in there that they threaten other parts of that would be a miscalculation. Uh, people are starting on, on to wonder Ukrainian about propaganda that. front. I mean, meanwhile, it's true that they have had only meager success in the Donbass in the last you know six weeks or so. They had some, they've had a little, and you know, you never know when suddenly a big break will come. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is they're just firing less artillery, and 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 people think that is partly because of the damage done to their arsenal with, uh, you know, these HIMARS and other things, and sabotage and things. Um, but I think I think you were the first to salvo in the uh, the degradation of uh, of Kagan's credibility here. My piece? Yeah. Ah, not that it had I, any, I'm not saying it had any effect. I'm saying it was I, I know, it's had disturbingly it was, little effect, like, like the rest of my career, but... You were right the, too soon, but it was, it was the first salvo of... of now several. You know, I encourage people Google it. Non-zero newsletter, Institute for Study of War. Uh, I encourage that. Uh, also, Responsible Statecraft reprinted it, so it's there. And in fact, that may be the free version. It could be paywalled on. I mean, halfway I'm, through, on my, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm correct in thinking that Victoria Newland is still an, a U.S. government official, right? She is. I yeah. Unless I really yeah. missed a week of news, yeah. yeah okay. Because somebody was saying, well, they're neo there are no neocons in the Biden administration. <laughs> like, I think there are. She's there. Um, so we. OK. Wait, wait, my my I inadvertently muted my microphone half halfway through that utterance. But you got the gist, I guess. Right. The gist was we were nearing the hour market. It's time to move to the parrot room. Time to move to the parrot room at Patreon.com slash parrot room. What are we going to talk about in the pair room, Mickey? Uh, I got some things, not a whole lot. Uh, uh, a friend of uh, uh, there's a crazy idea about the pipe bombs on January 6th that I want to at least raise. I don't understand it, but there's a crazy conspiracy theory involved that with that that's not completely crazy. They have some evidence. Uh, a friend of mine had an insight into what it meant to have empathy that I thought was potentially profound. Okay. You will be, you I'll will be, be the, the judge of that. You'll be the profounder meter there and say how profound it is or not. I think you're going to say that was in my book, huh. uh, but maybe not. Um, there is the ridiculous article. I, I mean, Peter Thiel's candidates are doing better than Donald Trump's in the Senate races and uh, Vance is ahead and masters is, behind but n not as far behind as the polls show according to my friend ryan jerdusky so uh it makes teal's ideology relevant and there was a ridiculous piece that you referred to me about how teal is a fascist that i want to mock if possible Did you read the piece that was by john gantz yes can i can i just uh use him to illustrate a different point sure if it's there, negative he wrote a he wrote he wrote uh a piece called The Case for Going After Trump, which is in support of the FBI raids. And then th that's the headline on his Substack. And then the subhead is, fuck it. And I just think that perfectly captures the actual logic 
behind behind going after him is like, God damn it, we're pissed off. That's the extent to which they thought this through. Uh, so anyway. I, I, I take both his his teal article and that article as I'm starting a Substack. I need subscribers. Uh, I'm going to do a bunch of stuff that, you know, will attract some subscribers. Anyway, it's, you've it's, read the teal piece, so we will continue our our comparison of uh, Peter Thiel and Elon Musk in the uh, terror room. Well, Elon, yes, Elon Musk uh, made the uh, the contrast more vivid this week. Um, hey, you the, know he uh, sold he sold seven billion dollars worth of Tesla stock. We can talk about that. Um, uh, yes, uh, the um, there is there there is evidence of the 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 there, the, the the model of fascist media do domination where the the government lets private entities like Facebook and Twitter dominate the public dialogue and then advises them and threatens them into censoring people has found uh, major vindication in the Alex Berenson lawsuit. Uh, so there's that. Um, ben Smith is uh, writing a book about uh, the competition between Huffington Post and BuzzFeed. I thought he was uh, founding a media empire. He's, he's also doing that too. He's a, he's a busy guy. Um, and uh, that may be about it for me. Okay, I'm going to, um, I'll say a little about, I, I, we're, I'm nearing the end of the Beatles documentary, Get Back. <laughs> I've gotten to the part with the rooftop concert and I'm halfway through it. The, uh, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Ron DeSantis. I listened to this uh, Andrew Sullivan interview with De Dexter Filkins, who wrote a New Yorker piece about DeSantis. Um, oh, okay. The uh, I want to complain a little about that Washington Post piece. I mentioned a different aspect of it. Uh, I had just said, I guess, that I would uh, yeah say a little more about Muhammad and the Satanic verses. Um, oh. And uh, what else? Let's see. I, yeah, I want to. I, I have two other. I want to put my money on my dark horse candidate for the Democratic nomination. I may already have done that. Uh, Democratic presidential nomination. Presidential nomination. It's, oh. it's not. It's not Tim Ryan. Although, if he wins, he wouldn't be a bad one. Uh, uh, I hope he He's doesn't. Tried win. once, but. Oh really? Okay, and um, that's what I mean. He wasn't memorable. He was he he was he was on the debate stage the last time around, Mickey, and you don't remember. Okay, and there's news on um, uh, news on the uh, anti-Soros prosecutor front. Anti-Soros. Not good news. Oh, and I and I heard Larry, I, I listened to Larry Summers's uh, interview with with uh, Barry Weiss. Oh great! Our new media titan. Right. You know, she lives out here and is making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on her newsletter. Are you trolling me? I'm trolling. I didn't know I was trolling, but I'm happy to troll you. That's a bit beneficial. It's a spandrel. It's a beneficial side effect. Uh -huh. uh, okay. If it whips you into a frenzy, that would be even better. But um, anyway, um, he said a couple of things that will annoy you. About... Uh, about uh, China and about um, corporate taxes. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, I can probably guess, but okay. And I can I can attack Norman Ornstein if we're really hard up for okay, okay, topics. okay. So I can always we got enough. We got Ornstein. enough. We got enough. Okay. 
He's a hothead. Quadruple the amount of stuff you you had when you said, I think that's about it for me. Um, I mean, unless you want to mention something sexier than Norm Ornstein, like, you know. There's nothing sexier than Norm Ornstein. Okay, folks, that's a parrot, and there's no such thing as too much parrot, and you know where you can find more. That would be at patreon.com slash parrot room, and we'll see people there. Okay? They're trying to stop me from singing. Trying to stop me from singing. Well, they can jail your body, but they can't jail your voice. <laughs>